0: How is your company perceived in the marketplace? Right. And do you really want to be the Walmart of your industry? Exactly. Probably not.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Get Your Fill, Financial Independence and Long Life, where we explore ways to achieve those goals and we invite people on to help us who have really unique and interesting knowledge. And that's why I am so excited Patty Block is with us today. Patty is has got this most interesting background. She was a lobbyist, she was a political consultant, a nonprofit executive, and then then she's brought that right around to the block group, which takes your roadblocks, which you think are keeping you from succeeding. And you turn that into a building block. And that, that is directly helping women own businesses. And Patty, I mean, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so excited to hear all your pearls of wisdom.
0: Thank you. I'm glad to be here and thanks for inviting me.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, Patty. So tell us how you got sort of into all these interesting, jobs. I think, especially like, you know, when you started your political career, was that originally your aspiration coming out of, you know, youth?
0: <laughs> to some degree it was. And I had always been politically involved from middle school on. I was very involved in political causes and interested in candidates. And so I, I certainly had that interest. But I had been volunteering for years and years and people started offering to pay me and asking if I was, if I could help them with their campaign strategy, training candidates. I did a lot of communications training for candidates. And so I started doing that. I started building my business. And my big challenge was that my revenue was tied to the election cycle (laughs) So I really only made money when an election was coming up. And that became more and more frustrating. So to even out my revenue, I decided I'll add the lobbying because I was already doing a lot of grassroots lobbying and grassroots means local. Mm -hmm. So a lot of letter writing and contacting your representatives and, and that kind of stuff. And again, people knew that's what I was doing. So they started offering to pay me and I became an independent lobbyist. So I had incredible clients. I had banks, I had uh, a railroad company, I had a doctor's group. So as an independent lobbyist, there's no party affiliation. You lobby on the issues and that's all about research And it's not who you know, it's who knows you. So even though I thought I knew, you know, that was an eye opener for me. I thought, well, you know, I know all these elected officials and I know all the people in this political arena. But if they don't know you and respect what you're doing, you're not getting in the door. It's just a fact. And so that uh, really shifted how I approached the lobbying And I might still be doing that today. But after eight years in business, I had a surprise divorce and I had three little kids at home.
1: I like that phrase.
0: (laughs) Yes, it was a surprise. And I had three little kids. And part of the trade-off for adding the lobbying was a lot of travel. So it became clear I had to stop traveling be home and stabilize things for the kids. My youngest at that time was about two oh, and nice. he just turned 30. So, ah! so I've been a single mom uh, for a really long time and raised the kids myself and helped them all get through college, graduate school and launched their careers. And now they're all three business owners and I help them with their companies and they help me in mine.
1: That's perfect. Nice symbiotic relationship. And you get to keep the home fires kind of So you obviously did a great job as a single mom, keeping everybody together and, you know, know, saying, and one son, I visit him in jail and then, you know, (laughs) there'll be none of that.
0: No. And the key was, and the thing I really focused on was I have to raise good human beings. And as long as I keep that in perspective, everything else is on the side. It's everything else I can deal with. Just have to keep that in focus. And so that really helped me a lot. Because of course, there were a lot of struggles and ups and downs, and I had to close my business. I was grieving for a lot of things, for my marriage, my family, my business, and it was all at the same time. So it was a really difficult time, but keeping that in perspective, knowing that I wanted to start my company again, but needed to have a job with steady paycheck and and health insurance.
1: Well, and less travel so, too, right?
0: So, and less travel, okay, exactly. And
1: of, you know, for your family,
0: and that's when I became a nonprofit executive. I went to an international school and was director of development, and so handling marketing, public relations, and fundraising, and then became director of operations. So I was there for almost nine years, and when I started this company in two thousand six, I knew I wanted to bring my experience and expertise in operations. To the small business market,
1: but Patty, I want to go back to something that you said earlier, but it's a and it's a theme is communication, yes, because you're clearly very good at that, and that's been a, a that's what's I think allowed you to be so effective in all these different roles that you've had. and even as a parent, right even with the family, I bet communication was a big part of what allowed you to keep that family functioning so well through all the different you know challenges that you were up against.
0: Thank you. And yes, I I think it's an excellent point. One of the things that I've realized more and more the longer I'm in business is as women, we often struggle. We struggle to speak up, speak out, to be assertive without being aggressive, to find the words that we want to use to communicate effectively. So a lot of what I do is teach, guide, mentor really help women be more effective in how they're communicating with their ideal buyers with their clients with their staff so that they can not only get their point across better but get a better response
1: yeah and that's that's key it's interesting you reminded me of a person i used to work with when i used to do project management for banking from high value money transfer software, like the installation project. And there was one person at one of the banks and they used to call her the velvet steamroller because she would come in with a big smile on her face and you would end up, you know, like you'd have this, somebody would have an idea that she didn't agree with. Well, that's such a great idea and blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, she'd completely turn it around to be her idea. And it was, but, but it was didn't but bore no resemblance to the person's idea. She just made them think that she'd, that, that they had, you know, Put the seed in that ended up turning into this idea that she had already come into the meeting with, and I don't. Know, she was just a very interesting person to watch her in action. <laughs> but do you think that women have? Is there a a skill that you're teaching people when when you know when the women are 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 needing to grab these these communication skills? Like I'm having trouble communicating right now. Um, are there is there a skill or is it very specific to the individual? Do you think?
0: I think there are skills, but skills aren't enough. A lot of it is confidence. Uh, And there's no lever you can pull to get more confidence. So that comes with planning ahead. I have certain techniques that I teach Mm -hmm. and it's planning ahead. It's knowing what your message is. What do you want to communicate? What is the purpose of what you're talking about? We all have a purpose, but sometimes we're not very conscious about it. So that's part of it. It's the pre-planning, understanding what your message is, and then practice. Because just like any muscle, you have to exercise that muscle in order for it to get stronger. And when you do that, your confidence will naturally go up. And it is uh, part of its discipline and part of it is knowing once you start getting those positive responses and people are reacting to you in such a positive way, you'll never do it any differently.
1: Yeah. Interesting. So here's like a selfish example that might help people to kind of see how this could work. So I have, I'm not supposed to say this, but I think by time this airs, it won't matter. Um, I, I have this company that I'm just starting I'm, I'm attracting just four investors. So it all has to be, you know, it can't be like a public offering. It has to be a very, you know, quiet sort of situation. And when I talk to people, I mean, I know my enthusiasm for the project comes across. I don't think I have the, the next step to say to people, you know, would you like to be a part of this really exciting thing that's going on because I maybe even make it sound too much like it's my thing. You know, I mean, I'm not really sure exactly what the problem is, but so, and, and, you know, you're talking about what exactly that you want to convey. Well, what I want to convey is that this is an excellent business opportunity for this person, but I'm not sure that that's, um, clear enough in my mind, maybe. Right. I mean, am I making any sense? I feel I need some communication help here. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, you are making sense. But I would question if that's what you really want to convey. So here's here's my thinking. And okay. again, I don't know you and I don't know your situation. So keep in mind, this is, I'm speaking in generalities, mm-hmm. but just the little bit you've shared with me, I am thinking as long as you your intent is for them to invest in your company, you're probably not going to get very far because if they are somebody who invests, they've heard it all. Right. They've heard every kind of pitch imaginable and they're on guard because people are pitching them all the time. Right. So my suggestion to you is shift your intent to building a relationship with them. Yeah. And I would say that's true, whether you want an investor or you want a buyer, right? If you want somebody to buy a service from you, focus on the relationship and getting to know them as a person. And most importantly, let them get to know you as a person. And we often miss that, that connection and that opportunity. So we're all business and we start with a pitch and no one wants to be sold. Right. So that's, that would be my advice from the little you've shared with me is start with the relationship and let them get to know who you are as a person, not just as a business person.
1: Yeah. And Patty, that's excellent. And it reminds me of how you came into your own jobs, right? You were doing your thing and people said, gee, you're doing something you enjoy. And I can see that you're really good at it. I'd like to pay you to do it. And I'm thinking about coaching as well. Like a lot of people who are wanting to make that shift into you know, working for themselves, they wanna do coaching, they wanna do some type of training. And just by forging the relationship and people are gonna to get to know you and recognize that you're really good in this space and then say, oh, would you help me? And then it just kind of happens much more organically and you're not saying, I'm a coach, hi, you know, learn from me, hello, right? And people are just like, you're right. We're also just wanting to tune out that constant barrage of, you know, bye, 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 right? Yes.
0: Well, it's that. And also when you focus on relationships, you're, what you're doing is going to feel so much better and more fulfilling for you. So, and women are really good at building relationships. Yeah. So that's why it is such an effective method. I think in general, male or female, We all have that within us to build relationships, but women have some advantages because we, it's very natural for us. We don't have to work that hard to build relationships, but often we lose sight. And part of that is because we're all used to that old corporate model that was developed by men for men, (laughs) never worked for women. It still doesn't work for women. And, but that's what we all grew up with. So we think we have to suppress our emotions. We have to be quiet until it's our turn to talk. (laughs) We need to wait until somebody recognizes us before we say anything or add to the conversation. So all of these things keep us limited and also impact and create that lack of confidence.
1: It's so true. But how do you help people? So you've been especially if you're coming from a corporate culture and, you know, I mean, I was never good at waiting for my turn to speak. It's always a challenge on the podcast, (laughs) you know, to just interrupt people all the time. But, you know, a lot of people have that, you know, speak, don't speak until you're spoken to. And, you know, they're actually waiting at the meeting for someone to say, Jane, what do you think? Right. And that's just never going to happen. So they never get a chance to share those ideas. How do you kind of break into, and I think that's how it feels for a lot of people, break into that conversation or that, club to say, you know, look, I have a good idea. Listen to me, you know, without sounding like you're jumping up and down, right? Saying, listen to me the same as the selling thing, right? It's
0: well, funny. yes. And you're right. Uh, we still want to behave in a business like fashion and a professional, what we think of as this is the way I need to be in order to, to be perceived as professional, right? right. And and there's nothing wrong with that. That's Okay. Um, but what you're talking about is getting a result before you've done the work. So breaking into a conversation is a result, right? And having people listen to you is a result. Having people respect you is a result. And you can't get to those results until you've done the work. So a lot of what I'm teaching is I, I really have four pillars in what I'm teaching. One is about your mindset what you believe and how that's keeping you limited. Mm-hmm. The second piece is who is your ideal buyer and where do you find them? Because a lot of us are selling to the wrong people. Yes. And the third piece is pricing for value and generating more revenue with less stress. And the fourth piece is communication. And it's how to be effective in what you're communicating, how, when, where, all of those issues of how can you be most effective and be perceived the way you want to be. And one of the biggest problems I find is that you have a reputation, but you might not have the reputation you intended. Right. Right. People believe certain things about you and about your company. And a lot of that happens by accident. So, You'll hear running through everything I'm talking about is intention and deciding how you want to be perceived and then doing the work that I teach so that you can either shift how you're perceived or if you are, um, if you really believe nobody knows about you, the world's best kept secret, then you have a great opportunity to craft how you want to be perceived.
1: Yeah. So do you, how does that happen now when someone comes to you and say, you know, look, I've got this wonderful idea and I'm an entrepreneur, are they normally just starting their business or are they often like in the throes of something that isn't succeeding the way they want it to?
0: So uh, interestingly, it's neither of those. So I typically work, I have two groups of of buyers and I do make a distinction between an ideal buyer and an ideal client because an ideal client does not happen by accident. That happens when you found an ideal buyer, you've taken them through your selling process, which I also teach. And then by the end of that process, you have come to an agreement. It's kind of like matchmaking. They've decided this is a good match and so have you. And once you've reached that point, you start the onboarding process with your client and then you're really training them to be an ideal client. So, and again, a lot of times we don't do that. We miss that step. And then we complain later when they don't stay within our boundaries. Well, they don't know our boundaries. Exactly. Unless we help them understand that. So going back to your question of, I work with women business owners that are experts in their fields. Typically they have a boutique practice. Mm -hmm. So they're accountants, attorneys, specialty consultants and the i have t- the two groups are the builders and the exiters so the builders are between 3 and maybe 15 years in business and they are actively building their business they care a lot about growth especially revenue growth mm-hmm. and that's why i put a lot of emphasis on generating more revenue with less stress mm-hmm. because there's a lot of misunderstanding on how to do that so that's that first group. The second group are women that have been in business a long time, maybe 25 or 30 years. Sometimes they're serial entrepreneurs. They own multiple companies. And they're interested in positioning their company for exit. So I'm helping them build value in their company, position it for exit. And then I will help them once we find a buyer or a buyer comes to them, which is actually more commonly the case And I just have a a client in the elder care industry who recently sold her company, closed just a few months ago. And the buyer came to her and offered her almost double what she thought she could get for her company. But we've spent the last six years positioning and building her company. So it was ready for sale. And then when the buyer came to her, she said, this is a sign and she's turning 70 this year. So she said, this is a sign I'm ready. And so I helped her through the due diligence and the transition phases. And all of those pieces lead to not only financial gain, but this incredible sense of legacy, because she knows that her business isn't going to close and somebody else recognizes the value and and has kept all of her staff and her business processes. And so of course she's feeling wonderful about that. And I'm so happy
1: for her. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. And I'm thinking that when you were talking about getting things ready for sale. So my background, I'm a real estate agent and I, two things about what you said really resonated. And one is of course, this idea of training your clients, because I hear a lot of agents complaining, oh, they're texting me at midnight and blah, blah. blah. And I think to myself, there's no way in the world my clients would text me at midnight, you know what I mean? It's just not a thing, you know, but they just haven't set those boundaries and made those rules for their clients and you don't even have to I don't think say it like, now don't you text me at midnight, right? I've never said that to anybody, but they understand, right? That you I don't know. I mean, somehow there's just a way that people know that that's just not it's respect, right? I mean, I think that's really what it comes down to is is that they respect you and your time and your your um expertise and, and the whole piece of it. But the other thing that I was thinking about is procedures. And right. When you, in order as entrepreneurs, right. We have this like, Oh, I'll just do everything right. I can do everything. I can do everything better than everyone else. And I'm going to just do it all and blah, blah, blah. And maybe I'll hire somebody to, you know, take out the trash, but everything else. But when you want to sell your business and when you want to bring it on and to build it, right. There's a whole piece of understanding what you do and allowing other people to do it proficiently and, and as well if not better than you can. So is that part of what you're um what you're helping people with, right? Is that a little bit of letting go?
0: <laughs> yes. And interestingly, I have worked with more than one woman business owner who her intent was to exit. And by the time we have worked together and built the value, she doesn't want to let go and she's fallen in love with her business again. So I have had actually several women where that was their original intent, but then they decided they love their business and they don't want to let it go and they weren't ready to sell.
1: Because so, you helped them to to do the pieces mm-hmm. that they were really good at, right?
0: Yes, and to build value in a way that takes stress off of them. So that makes a huge difference too. If you're not having fun and enjoying what you're doing, it is time to make a change. But again, we get stuck in that old corporate model thinking there's only one way to change. And there's thousands of ways that you can change and you have to figure out what's right for you.
1: So I would think, Patty, that when you're first meeting with people, that there's got to be some of that, just feeling each other out and understanding a little bit about that person and what it is that they, because right when I said, oh, I need I need this. And you said, well, that's not really what you need. <laughs> This is what you need, right? And it, there's got to be some, how, do, how are you helping to uncover some of, some of those things that are, are the actual issue or the actual places where you can really add value?
0: So I start with strategic questioning, and that is drilling down into, um, again, one of the things that actually is a great place to start is that in general, business owners, think in similar ways. So again, we grew up with the corporate model. It's what we know. It's what we're used to, just like a lot of us grew up with hourly billing, (laughs) which is a terrible way to bill, (laughs) but it was so drilled into our heads. So part of what I need to do when I'm talking about pricing for value is help women kind of crack that code so that they give up billing hourly because Everyone that I work with is providing a transformational service. And yet, if you bill hourly, that's transactional.
1: Yes.
0: And people will view you as transactional and they'll view your service as you they'll see you as a vendor instead yeah. of a partner. Right. And so because business owners tend to think alike, I start with that baseline thinking, yes. This is probably what this person believes, the person I'm speaking with. This is probably what they believe. And this is, I know where they came from, if they came out of corporate or if they've had a previous business or if they've been in business for 15 years, I know some of their background and I know what they're probably thinking to start with. So I start asking questions around that to drill down and to figure out what is it that is really a problem for them? a lot of people tell me about problems that I think of as symptoms. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) And so I have a fresh perspective that I can listen to what they're saying and synthesize and realize if they're telling me that they're putting out fires all day, every day, and they go from one bad situation to the next, they're talking about a problem and I know it's a symptom. Right. And I also believe that everything flows from your pricing. Mm -hmm. So if you're undervaluing yourself and underpricing your services, right there, you have a situation where you can't hire who you want, when you want. You can't, even if you wanted to hire a virtual assistant or you're limiting yourself in so many ways that that then creates the symptoms that you're experiencing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so key to have the right people. When you work with a great team, right? You just feel like, wow, everybody's doing their thing and, you know, everybody's got their specialty and it's just all just clicks and flows and right. And that's why they're finding so much new enjoyment because now they're part of this fantastic right situation where, Oh, this is so fun. I'm so energized working with these great people. And yeah. Definitely, absolutely, and also, don't you think it's perception of the person who's hiring you as well, right? If I, if I'm paying someone a thousand dollars, or if I'm paying someone ten thousand dollars, my expectation of that relationship is different. But also, I think the respect factor, right? And the this person I'm hiring, I I just put out, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to hire this team to help me, so I'm really going into it thinking it's going to be great. Whereas, oh, I choose the cheapest option, so hopefully, I can, you know you know, squeeze some little bit of value out of it. Right.
0: <laughs> so that is an excellent point. And think of it as you are. So you're thinking of it from the hiring side that you're investing this money. Right. Think of it from the selling side. Now, when you're talking to an ideal buyer and you price your services artificially low as humans, we think of low price and low quality yes, and high price and high quality. So if you're artificially pricing low or you're offering invisible discounts that nobody asked for, right. people will perceive that in a particular way. Sometimes they'll think, oh, I'm getting a bargain and this is great. But exactly to your point, they will value it less. Yeah. And you can actually drive sales with your pricing. And it's something that a lot of people don't realize that when you price at a level that people respect, understand, they have high expectations, as you mentioned, yeah. that is actually a real positive. And it goes back to what I said earlier about how is your company perceived in the marketplace? Right. And do you really want to be the Walmart of your industry? Exactly. Probably not. Probably not. People
1: are just waiting for things to break. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I'll wear this first season and throw it in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I want to kind of transition to, well, first of all, let me just ask you before we start talking about the quiz and, you know, talking about what we can give people to sort of um, try themselves at home, right? Um, What, I mean, we've talked about a lot of great things here, but is there something that you wish that I would have asked you or something that we haven't touched on that you really want to share this morning? Yes.
0: Thanks for asking. Um, I want to share with you um, a, a dynamic and a problem that I see that's so pervasive for women. And it's something, part of my mission is to bring this to awareness. When I was growing up, my mom made these fabulous cookies. The whole house smelled good. It was warm. The cookies were gooey. And all my life, I watched my mom eat the broken cookies. But it wasn't until I was a teenager that I even thought to ask her, why do you only eat the broken cookies? Do they taste better?
1: And <laughs> All she the calories laughed. are leaked out of the broken ones. You don't know exactly. that. Exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. And my mom just laughed and said, no, I eat the broken cookies. So you can have the whole ones. And not too long ago, I saw this really shocking statistic. 62% of women rely on their business for their primary income. And 88% of women business owners make less than hundred thousand dollars a year. And all of a sudden this image of my mom eating the broken cookies popped in my head. And I started to connect the dots to what I've been seeing since I started my company in 2006, because it is so pervasive. We as women, we undervalue ourselves, we underprice our services, and then we over-deliver. And that creates an artificial glass ceiling in our business. And we're not even aware of it. So we perpetuate it. And I see it everywhere I look, every woman business owner I've ever talked to has this dynamic, but they're not aware of it. So part of my mission is to bring this to awareness to talk about the broken cookie effect, and to talk about how you can beat that. And that's why I teach what I teach, which is about generating more revenue with less stress. It's about driving sales with your pricing. It's about communicating effectively so that people really not only understand what you're talking about, but respond so much better to it. So all of those pieces come together to beat the broken cookie effect.
1: It's so powerful, Patty. Oh my goodness. And and that also, I've read other statistics like women are much more likely to pay for their kids' education than to put money aside for their own retirement. You know, they're like all, all those sorts of dynamics, where it's often that women get to be at an age where they'd like to retire, but they really aren't prepared because they've been doing all these other things for all these other people. And they're like, oh gosh, you know, now I have to retire. I've been caring for my parents. I've been, you know, taking care of my kids. I've been doing all these things for other people. And now I'm not prepared because I've spent my whole life eating broken cookies. Right. And, and, but it's so true. And, and we're not, aware of it, right? Because it's just a thing. It's just, we're just expected. It's just right. We feel like it's a good thing that we're doing. I'm doing this as a great thing for my family, right? But except that now I have no money and I have to go live with them, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I always say, so what happened to mama, right? Right. I'm taking care of everyone else. Exactly. As you described, I have three kids. I'm a single mom. I've been helping to care for my parents for, I don't know how long. I'm the primary caregiver for my mom right now all of those dynamics that pull us in so many different directions. And yes, they are expected of us to some extent, but also, as you said, we want to help. It's part of my nature is to help others and to be of service. So there's a conundrum here of how do we then take care of ourselves and make sure that we are not in a precarious position later either financially or with our health or all the other things that we want to be fulfilled
1: absolutely and that's fantastic i i love you know your whole work model and the whole way that you've come to this realization in your own life and in your own right just like bing a light bulb goes on and say oh my goodness this is what i'm realizing in my clients and not even having maybe a a, a name for it, or a, a, now you've got this fantastic story that helps people to very clearly see what exactly is going on in their heads that they may not have even been aware of. Do you exactly. think entrepreneurship is is very different for women versus men?
0: I do. I do. I think part of that is how we're raised in Western culture. I think part of it is how we're perceived in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. I think it's harder to be taken seriously and which is also why communication is so key because that can help you be taken more seriously and the and the other part of that is consistency and business owners often have a hard time with that you know we might post on social media on monday but then we don't post again for 4 weeks right. <laughs> or we reach out to a potential buyer but then when we don't get a direct response we feel really uncomfortable. And it feels like it might be heading towards a conflict, right? We don't want them to get mad or upset or, and so we just leave them alone. And we figure if they need us, they'll call us. That's a really common dynamic. And they're not going to call because they don't know they need you. Right. They only know if they want you, right? Right? They don't know what they need. Right. So it's a, a huge issue. And Building your confidence in all of these different areas that I've mentioned really goes a long way to have, and to your point earlier about process and procedures, when you have a process, it's not personal, it's structural. And the same thing with your pricing. When you put a structure and a rationale around your pricing, it's not personal, it's structural. And that takes away a lot of that angst that you feel in talking about your pricing.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, there is like every so often someone will say, you know, oh, well you cut your commission, you know, as a real estate agent. And I always think, no, why would I do that? But it's, you know, they say, well, why not? And I just think, because I don't have like a nice fairy tale to tell them about why, you know, here's, this is why I'm so valuable. I just think what well, I want to work with someone who wants me to for less, You know, you're fired, but, but there, there are people who are so great at like, just letting people know, well, you know, you don't know me very well yet, but when you do, you're going to understand like all these things that I bring to the table and all this thing. And do we, I think it's very common that we, and I don't know that this is just women, but I'm for sure it is women that we don't even understand necessarily how we are different from other people and what we are bringing to the table. That's different than what other people are perhaps providing what we're, what we have as a, as a skill or a, a particular talent that we take for granted. Right. And we're not able to really let people know that we have this. This is what makes me special. Right.
0: Well, not only do we take it for granted, but we don't talk about ourselves because we were raised that you don't brag. You don't talk about yourself in, you know, cause you'll sound arrogant right. and I'm based in Texas and we have a saying here. It's not bragging if it's true. <laughs> and so that's part of what I teach is how do you talk about yourself, your skills, your experience, your expertise, how do you bring all of that to a conversation without bragging without sounding like you're arrogant and and it's a huge challenge for women because we've been taught our whole lives not to do that yeah and not to show emotion and that you can't be seen as a professional if you if you cry in the workplace you know right. all of this nonsense that we've been taught and it's very ingrained in us so part of that is being aware of how you can function. You have a lot of power as a woman and as a woman professional, as a business owner, but we're not really using that power the way we could. Some of it's because we're not aware of how to use it. And some of it is, as you said, we take it for granted and we think, oh, everybody thinks the way I do. Yeah, And that just isn't the case at all.
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think I read somewhere or someone said that we think that everyone else has our skills plus their own, right? We think that, you know, oh, oh, this is nothing special. You know, the fact that I'm a fantastic communicator and I'm, you know, empathetic and I can hear read between the lines. I mean, can't everybody do that? You know, well, not really, not effectively, right? So then you thought, okay, hmm, okay, that makes me special. How can I let people know that I have this superpower, right? Exactly. Interesting. So how can we help to to turn our, you know, figure out what our roadblocks are and turn them into stepping stones, building blocks, building
0: blocks. Yes. Um, So I have a quiz I'd like to offer your audience. Great. It's myrevenueroadblocks.com. And you can also go to my website at theblockgroup.net and you'll find the quiz there as well. And what this does is it helps you identify the roadblocks to generating revenue. And there are, you know, again, I talked about wanting to bring a lot of these issues to your awareness. And that's what this quiz is designed to do as well, is to help you understand what's in your way that you may not even realize is keeping your company very limited, especially in terms of generating revenue. And when you complete the quiz, you'll get a report that will outline for you some of the most common myths that we deal with, our limiting beliefs, and some of the first steps that you can take to address these challenges.
1: Excellent. That's fantastic. Thank you, Patty. I know that's something that... Now, if you were driving or something, you don't have to try to write that down. That's all going to be in the show notes, everything that Patty has shared, her link to her website and and to the quiz. But I highly recommend that you take it because there is your actual revenue ceiling is much higher than you think it is right patty and, and and until you can clear those clear those roadblocks and turn them into building blocks you're not going to be able to reach that your full potential which is what right we just there is the, it's unlimited it's, it's unlimited. and that's
0: very well said Thank yes you. <laughs> you said that very nicely and you're right and women have more power than we realize we have more choices than we realize And we get really limited. And a lot of that is because we don't know how to think differently or operate differently. And that's why I teach what I teach. Excellent.
1: Patty, you're definitely someone that we all need to speak to and work with. Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciated talking with you and hearing your wisdom. And it's been fantastic.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: And thank you listener for listening. I know that you are thinking right now of somebody that Patty desperately needs to speak to, or actually I should say someone who desperately needs to speak with Patty to help them to get out of the muck of their business and to allow them to love it again, or to perhaps transition it to someone else so that they can have some new financial, you know, new finances to be able to try something interesting and exciting and and whatever. So please forward this episode to them and come back next week.